the fact that you are the King, you are the Christ Lord, and that we can see clearly who you are. Thank you that um, in addition to that, Lord, you came down to this earth, made yourself manifest to us, Lord, and showed us the clear path, Lord, forward. And it is not in things of this world, Lord. It is in you, Lord. True life is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we see that and we see how you are, Lord, that we would take stock of that and that we would follow up, that we'd rank ourselves according, Lord, under you, the perfect authority. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. So for our brief review, uh, chapter 8 and 9, you guys on the handout, you'll see there's a couple blanks there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people listed. And these people, one thing they all have in common is that they are not the popular crowd in Judaism. A leper, they were cast out. Gentile centurion, they were the oppressors of Judaism. A paralytic, tax collector, a woman with a discharge throughout her whole life. Um, two blind men, a mute. Um, all these people are usually despised. That's the first blank on your outline, despised. Um, but are healed or called by Christ through faith. So these people are usually despised, but are healed or called by Christ through faith. A false idea of Christianity is it's only for the people you like. It's only, you know, there, there's these things called cliques. You guys have probably seen them in high school quite a bit. You know, you've got your squad of people and you want to spend time with them, right? Those are... Um, those are the people that are easy, comfortable to relate with. These people were the outsiders on the click. All of these people. But all these people throughout this whole chapter are healed or saved um, by Christ through faith. And guys, that is really important for us to understand. Because as we see each one of these people, we need to understand that, hey, God goes to the people who are not popular, right? God goes to the people who are on the outside as well as on the inside. He he does not discriminate like we do humanly. Um, so here we see, first of all, a leper, right? Um, in chapter 8, usually when you would touch a leper, you would be unclean. But the opposite happens in chapter 8 here. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper in verse 3 and cleanses him. So instead of Jesus becoming unclean, he cleanses that person. Again, the faith of the centurion, guys. Um, this is really critical, too, to see. Um, he is a man under authority in verse 9. He says to one soldier, go, and he goes. Another, come, and he comes. To another servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. For, and so here we see this reality, guys, that the people of Abraham, the real true descendants of Abraham, aren't those who are blood-related, but those who are by faith, right? Those who put their faith in the Messiah, in the Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how bad you were beforehand. Guys, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he will save you. Jesus heals many, right? We talked about last week how he took our illnesses and bore our diseases, as we see as he's walking through Israel. And taking all of these diseases and illnesses um, from the people, demonstrating that he is able, that he is the Messiah and the Christ. And as he continues, guys, we just see more and more of these people, two demon-possessed men, right? Um, but he goes to them and he um, casts out with authority those demons from them into this herd of pigs. And when the um, town hears about it, do they want to hear about Jesus? No, they just want to go back to their status quo, right, of life. They want Jesus to leave their region. Guys, again, is this, is this us? Do we have that desire to, to just go away, to have things be the status quo? Do we like our life here on earth? Do we want to keep it? 
or are we willing to give it up to, to serve the Lord, to have that true salvation um, in him? And guys, additionally, we see a paralytic. We see a tax collector. Jesus um, calls Matthew, and he eats with these tax collectors. And he says in verse 13 to the Pharisees who are scoffing, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the, the righteous, um, not the righteous, but the sinners. So here we see Jesus. He is going after people who see their need in spirit. Remember, we talked about that true pathway to happiness. It starts off with that prerequisite of poverty in spirit, seeing your need before the Lord, right? Seeing that you are needy. And he, those are the people that Jesus is going for, the people who see their need for him, not those who have it all together. And guys, one important piece of background too, this is a direct quote from Hosea 6. Um, we're going to actually see Hosea come up towards the end of our study today. But um, all that to say, keep that in mind that this is coming from Hosea. Um, and, and we don't have time to look at all that background. But um, guys, all that to say, here in this, in this passage, we see that these tax collectors, these sinners, all these people who are despised are coming before the Lord. Um, and he is healing them. Two blind men, two people unable to speak. Um, and Jesus is having compassion on them. And so one question for discussion for us, why does God often choose the despised of this world? And it's not just um, physically, right? You know, there are rich people who enter into the kingdom. Take Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. Um, but it's people who recognize their poverty in spirit, right? Why does God oftentimes, though, go to those people who see their need, who are impoverished, right? Um, those who are needy, who are despised. What would you guys say? I've got a couple verses there, too, if you want to kind of peek at those. Could one of you guys pick up that 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31 passage? It's a longer, longer stretch if someone could read that for us. Adam, you got it? Yes. That'd be awesome, man. 1, 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who, who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 
so that as it is written, let the one who boast boast in the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. So obviously, Jesus is not just about saving the people who are wise, right, who are in. Um, so that's one misconception of Christianity, right, is that it's just for the cool people or just for um, people who are, right, part of, who are righteous, who have it all together. No, in fact, it's for, for those who see their need in Christ. So why do you think it is? Um, you can look at that First Corinthians passage or think about what we just read in Matthew. Why is it that God often chooses the despised of this world? What would you guys say? Yeah, Emma. Absolutely. That's really good. Anything else? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people can put their boast in a lot of different things. For some of us, maybe our abilities or our resources or our um, reputation or whatever it might be. But notice how that passage in 1 Corinthians ends, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, right? Those who see their need, right? We can put our boast and our um, kind of confidence there in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Instead of those other things of this world, which ultimately will pass away. Um, right, he's no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain that which he can't lose, as um, a missionary once said. So, um, but yeah, let's go ahead and turn over to chapter ten here uh, for the for our section today. So we're transitioning here into um, Jesus's instructions to the disciples, and here uh, we're going to find out what a kingdom citizen can expect. Um, so that's the first blank on your outline. The kingdom citizen can expect to be treated like their king. The kingdom citizen can expect to be treated like their king. So he gives this authority to the disciples. And what does he tell them they can expect? Well, um, Christianity is not going to be an easy cakewalk, right? It's not just going to be comfort and ease for these disciples. Very similar to what we were just hearing about from Pastor Rich in uh, the sermon today. Exactly what could those disciples expect once their Lord died, once he ascended to the right hand of the Father, what could they expect from this world? Was it going to be easy for them? Were they going to be loved by the world? Were they going to get the kingdom right away? No, they were going to be treated like their master, right? And so he gives them authority now to be sent out into the world in uh, verses 1 through 4. And he sends them out with these instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, um, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, so he is um, making that proclamation, right? That one we talked about, the repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's initially doing it to the Jew first. And we're going to actually see next week a transition into the Gentiles and actually some of the groundwork for that as we move forward in, in uh, today's, um, today's lesson. And they're going out in a way that's very um, in accordance with what he was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not all about stuff, not all about um, acquiring physical things for yourself, um, but he's, he's telling these disciples in this context um, to 
um, receive without paying, to give without pay, to acquire no gold, no silver, no copper for your belts, no bag uh, for your journey, no two tunics, sandals, etc. Um, he's just going from house to house. They are going to proclaim the Lord, and that is their main focus. And while, you know, for us, that's not exactly how we walk through life. We're not the disciples. It's not the exact same. Again, those priorities that we were talking about. Um, you know, where is our priority? Is it on the things of this world? Do we spend the dominant amount of our time thinking on those things? Or are we seeking first the kingdom of heaven, knowing that those other things will be added to us? Um, and guess what? Guess what he can tell them will come? What can they expect um, as they walk out in the world in this way? Um, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they deliver you over to courts to flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and for the Gentiles. So again, you know, here they are going to be in this persecution, very much as we were hearing, that pruning process and the pain of it, right, that they will endure. But notice also what will happen as well. Um, when you are delivered over, do not be anxious how you speak or what you are to say in verse 19. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Right? So they will be given what they need in those moments. And for us to consider too, um, you know, do we, what do we expect from this world? You know, it's not the exact context here, you know, with the disciples that we are guaranteed, you know, that we're going to die and all that, just like Jesus, you know, is describing to his disciples. But for us, for, you know, our lives, guys, maybe you guys have already seen some of that persecution in your school place or um, in different scenarios as you're going through life or maybe in sports field or whatever it might be. Guys, what do we really expect? That's the question for discussion here. What do you really expect from this world? What would you guys say? And maybe what we really expect and what should we expect from this world as well. Yeah, Emma. Yeah. Shouldn't expect for it to be easy or any of those things if we're following Christ, right? Was it easy for him? No. Nope, it was not. So, yeah. But sometimes we do, you know what I mean? Like, we get sick and it's like, oh, bummer, you know, I didn't want to get sick. And we've been sick for the last two weeks, it seems like. So. <laughs> Three, yeah. And Callie can't talk because she, she, uh, she lost her voice. She was supposed to sing today. Um, for worship, but obviously that wouldn't have gone well. So. But, you know, trials happen, right, guys? You get sicknesses, um, you know, stuff happens. What are some trials that you guys have encountered lately? Yeah, Emma. Will choked on a kangaroo. You choked on a kangaroo? No, Will choked on Oh, Will. An eraser. Oh, an eraser kangaroo. Okay. Poor little guy. What happened? He just... Um, Oh, poor guy. Oh, and they just left left him be, right? He ended up getting rid of it somehow. 
Yeah, I haven't found it yet. Oh no. Oh, poor little guy. What are other trials you guys are going through? Yeah, Emma. Oh no. Bummer. Like when you play volleyball or just in general? Randomly. Oh boy. Sorry. It's hard. What are other trials you guys have going on? Mm. Yeah. Especially with coming coming down the holidays, going to see family and stuff like that. So. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, my mom stepped on the glass, and um, so she hasn't really been able to walk much for the last like three days, and the house is a mess. Oh. And our Zeke and Dad left for a trip. Oh no. How's her foot now? Is it any better? Or? Yeah, better. Boy, that's hard. Wow. What else, trial-wise? I mean, they're doing better now, but like a week ago, grandparents both fell. My grandpa hit his head. And thankfully my aunt was there to catch my grandma. But later that day, I think, he fell again they're both getting pretty frail, but they're like, mm. grandma's turning 86 at the end of the year, and then my grandpa's turning 89 in March, so they're, they're doing better now, but they're getting really frail, so. It's hard. It's hard. My grandma's not doing well either, and yeah, she's been in the hospital a lot, and yeah, it's, it's tough to see her grandparents go through that. All that to say, we, we all have a lot of trials going on, right? I mean, everyone's got something going on. Usually you're either just out of a trial or going to be entering into one. And what do we expect from this world, right? Do we expect these hard trials not to happen, right? Or do, should we expect them to happen and them to come, right? And specifically, not just living in a fallen world, but here are the context is from following Christ, um, from, from following after him. Um, and remember, guys, too, as we adjust our expectations to remember, hey, we live in a fallen world, things are going to be hard, um, to remember the rewards here. Look at the very end of Matthew 10 uh, with me in 40 and following. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Guys, remember, even though it is hard, and, and whoever loses his life or tries to keep it um, will um, ultimately lose it, but whoever loses his life on this earth will find it, right? Um, guys, remember that true life is found in the Lord, and the rewards will come at the end. I, I also think about what Pastor Rich was preaching from Revelation, right? All the hard trials that the church was going through in that time, but then all the rewards that were available to them. Every single um, call that Jesus gave to each one of those churches, right? It had the trials they were going through. The, um, a lot of them had the admonitions as well of what they needed to change. And then also the rewards available at the end. Don't lose sight of those things, right? Just like we were talking about. Guys, those are eternal rewards. 
things we cannot lose, right? So set your gaze on those things and expect to have trials in this life. It is going to be hard. So that's one false perception of uh, what it means to be a Christian, right? Is that it's just going to be easy all the time. Guys, it's not. It is going to be hard. We can expect that um, from, from this world. Um, in chapter 11, we're going to see um, that the king has come to give rest to the weak. Uh, that's the next blank on your outline, the weak and not the strong. The king has come to give rest to the weak and not the strong. And by the way, this is spiritually uh, weak. Um, you, can, you can lift weights. It's okay and be a Christian. That's fine. Um, but all that to say, guys, it's this, it's this spiritually weak, right, that the king has come to give rest to and not the strong, right? Not the people who think they have it all together. Here's another misconception in Christianity is that you have to get all your ducks in a row. You have to make yourself right, and then you can come to Jesus. Guys, it's the opposite. It is the opposite. That's how the Pharisees tried to do it. They were trying to come to Jesus on their own terms after being good in and of themselves. But guys, you cannot do that, right? Um, you guys should see that about yourselves if you haven't already, that you guys need help, that you need the Lord. This is something we're telling the kids constantly. They're always battling against each other, always you know, having these different issues. And uh, Reese knows because she's seen it firsthand <laughs> when she's been to our house. But anyway, all that to say, guys, we need help, right? And if you see that weakness, that poverty in spirit, those are the people that the king has come to help. Um, look with me at chapter 11 here. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And John heard about this. And he says, are you the one who has come or shall we look for another? In verse 3 there. Um, and a big part of this, right, is um, what John did not see. He was expecting to see the kingdoms change, right? The strong takeover of all the kingdoms that were around. But instead, uh, Jesus answered in verse 4 and said, Hey, go and tell John what, John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Right? Jesus is doing the signs of the Messiah, but he is not taking the kingdom yet. He is not taking over um, the political realm like John was anticipating. Um, but Jesus, he spoke concerning John that he was um, a great man, actually the greatest man um, born of women. Um, and he, he, though who is least in the kingdom of heaven in verse 11, is greater than he even. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We are so blessed to be part of his kingdom. Um, and he is Elijah the prophet who is to come. And this current generation is just wanting everyone to play along with them, right? That's what verse 16 and following is talked about. Um, but instead, wisdom is justified by her deeds. We've seen Jesus's deeds that he is demonstrating he is the Messiah. Although he's not doing the strong takeover of all the kingdoms, um, he is the one who um, is proclaiming the kingdom through the heart, right? Um, it's not just a physical takeover that's needed. It is a spiritual takeover, and that is what Jesus is doing. Um, those who do not have faith, he pronounces woe on them. And those who do have faith, right, those who are weak, those who are needy. Look at verse 25 and following. Um, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And notice what he says in verse 28 here. Not only is he just revealing these things to the people who are needy and see their need, 
But look at verse 28 and following. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, or my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is here to help those who are needy, those who are lowly. And this is how he is in his soul, right? He is gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, take my yoke upon you. For his burden is like God gives clear direction for us, right? He gives us clear commandments. He's taking care of everything else. Our job is simply to follow him, simply to follow him. And he cares for us so fully. Even as we were just seeing from the Holy Spirit who he's given us, he hasn't abandoned us as orphans, right? He has taken care of us and he will continue to do so. So our discussion question in uh, chapter 11 here is, how does Jesus provide for you? in your spiritual weakness? How does Jesus provide for you in your spiritual weakness, right? Um, here, if you are weak, you know, the first point that you came to in saving faith was that point of spiritual weakness, right? How has he done that maybe initially or continued to do that throughout your lives? What would you guys say? thoughts. Yeah. Mm. Have you guys maybe seen this play out in life, right? So obviously, like we were saying, that first point of salvation all the way to this point today, how have you guys seen um, those different resources and Jesus him providing for you so fully in your spiritual weakness. What would you guys say? Some kind of practical life examples. I would call on Callie, but your voice is not, not doing the best, but we've, we've been through like a lot of trials recently just with physical sickness and family dynamics and just a lot of, a lot of different uh, things going on for the last couple of years. And I see you nodding your head because the Lord has definitely continued to provide for us both here at New Community um, and just through time in his word. And it hasn't been perfect, but uh, we are very weak, and the Lord is very strong in the midst of these circumstances. Um, I think it was Spurgeon. He once said, I've learned to kiss the wave that drives me against the rock of ages. And that's the mentality that we need to start developing, right, in our own hearts to mature in our faith, is to see these different trials that you guys were talking about last time um, with the last question, and to not have that misconception of Christianity that it's all going to be white picket fence, comfortable, fun, 
um, but that it is going to be hard. And to see these things that drive us against Christ and say, hey, this is good, right? And he will continue to provide for me, even though I feel weak and I feel like I can't go any further. No, he knows and he will care for us each step of the way. But what about for you guys? What are maybe some of those trials you mentioned earlier? How's the Lord using those things? Um, and how is he providing for you in your own lives? What would you guys say? thoughts or examples Yeah, I was, I lost my job like two years ago, actually, yeah, about, about that long ago, and um, I um, started studying Psalm 46, you know, that God is our refuge and very present help in trouble, and just that solidness that we can have in Him. Martin Luther, the mighty fortress is our God, based that his hymn off of that psalm as well, as he was going to face all these different um, Catholic authorities uh, in defending uh, the faith and just seeing the reality of 
trials that are going to come our way, right? We have that sure foundation, that rock of ages, right? That um, fortress that we can go back to again and again in God and in his word. And also that process like Drew was talking about that it has in our life. Go and just uh, keep your place in Matthew 12. Um, we'll come back there in one moment. I want to go over to 2 Corinthians 12, though, um, really quickly. Um, so um, Paul here in context, he is um, pleading with the Lord about this thorn in his flesh. And in the broader context, he is defending his apostleship before the Corinthians. And as he's doing this, um, he is demonstrating to them um, his own weakness um, personally, but also how the Lord is working through him. Um, so he, he speaks... Um, in verse 5 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians, um, that he will not boast except in his own weakness. Um, kind of like what we were seeing in his first letter to the Corinthians. Um, and to keep him from being conceited, because um, this is often what will happen, guys, when things are going well, when we're not being pruned, right? We can get conceited. We can start going back to our own strength. We can start seeing ourselves as spiritually strong instead of weak and needy and help um, needing um, the Lord. And um, to keep him from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of his revel of the revelations. And th in this case, Paul, he was given all these visions of heaven. Um, guess what was given to him? A thorn was given to him in his flesh. That does not sound comfortable. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you guys have gotten like a like a stick stuck in your shoe or thorns? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of hands going up. Actually, just yesterday, um, my son, and I watched him do this, so I don't know why I didn't remember, but he put a Lego piece in my shoe and, and I put my foot in and like, you know, immediately you're like, okay, this is not right. So, something's going on. Oh yeah, that's right. He, he put a Lego in there. And so I actually, they did a Babylon B on this one time. It was kind of funny. Uh, they, they talked about how they built Legos that were poison tipped. So that way you wouldn't feel pain and you'd instantly die. So <laughs> anyway, this is so painful to step on a Lego. Anyway, but, but in Paul's case, he's got a thorn in his flesh, right? And um, it, it's not you know, necessarily talking about a physical thorn. Instead, it's talking, <laughs> uh, uh, but it's talking about a messenger of Satan to harass him and to keep him from being conceited. Three times he pleads with the Lord about this trial, that it would leave him. But... What is God's answer? Maybe you guys have pled about one of these trials going on in your life, that it would be healed, that you, know, you would feel better, that the sickness would go away, your ankle would be fine, that family dynamics would go away, whatever it might be. Guys, maybe you pleaded with the Lord over this. He may say no for his good purposes. This is what he told the apostle Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? In our weakness, Christ's power is displayed. In those moments of hardship, guys, that is when we can see Jesus the clearest at work in our lives. Right? And he says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and he will give us rest for our souls. Guys, this is the Savior we serve. He helps us in our spiritual weakness. Matthew 12, Matthew 12. Um, so that, that's another misconception, right? That it's always going to be easy. It's only for the strong. Um, but um, another um, spiritual 
misconception is that we're always going to be accepted by the people around us, right? We're always going to be accepted. People are going to like us. You know, I, I remember I asked this question a couple of weeks ago. How many of you all like to be liked? Hands went up, right? Um, and obviously, that's a natural tendency. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but um, the king is rejected in chapter 12 by Israel's leaders. The king is rejected by Israel's leaders. And you can probably guess what this means for those who follow him already, but we're going to see this demonstrated in chapter 12. First of all, disputes about the Sabbath, right? Um, the Pharisees, they um, are trying to come up to him and say that the disciples are breaking the law, but in fact, they're just breaking this hedge around the law that the Pharisees have created. Um, and he brings up Hosea again here, uh, kind of like I mentioned earlier, to keep this in mind. And we're going to see it again one more time. So he said, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. This is chapter um, 12, verse 7. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is such a key component of true authority in Israel. If you are in control of the Sabbath, you are in control over Israel and their practices. Um, and the true desire of the Lord is mercy and not sacrifice. It's not all about fastidious law keeping. It is about those greater realities that come from the heart, loving God, loving others. Um, if this were the case, then um, they would not have condemned the guiltless, right? If they really understood the heart of the law, loving God and others, they would have not condemned people who are just trying to eat on the Sabbath day. So he enters a synagogue um, and there's a man with a withered hand. And guess what? Uh, the Israel's leaders are ready to reject him, to accuse him yet again. Um, so he uh, sees um, this man with a withered hand and he points out the hypocrisy. Jesus does. He says, guys, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit, are you going to pull the sheep out of the pit? Absolutely you are. What about this man, which is more important than a sheep, with a withered hand, right, on the Sabbath day? And so he says, um, to teach them that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, he says in verse 13, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored. The Pharisees, what do they do? They go out, instead of seeing this miraculous sign he's doing, they want to get rid of him, right? It's kind of like that town that just wanted to get rid of him. They just want the status quo. They just want life as it is. They love their life. They're not ready to lose their life for the sake of this greater one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they conspire against him, how to, dis to destroy him. Um, Jesus is aware of this. He withdraws. And here's where we see some of that groundwork for the Gentile, right? The going to the outcasts start to begin. Um, this was to fulfill what was um, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, verse 18. Um, his spirit is on him to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And notice in verse 21, in his name the Gentiles will hope. Right? So we see this rejection by Israel's leaders, but we also see Jesus now turning to a new audience slowly here. So um, in addition to that, um, here a, another man is coming, a demon-oppressed man, and all the people are amazed at um, him healing him. And can this be the son of David? But what do the Pharisees say? The Pharisees reject him, and they say, um, this is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, right, points out again the folly of what they're saying. Guys, can a kingdom divided against itself stand? No, it can't, right? If, um, if a people, you know, is fighting within themselves, they're going to be fractured and easily susceptible to takeover. In the same way, Satan is not casting out Satan, but it's by the Spirit of God. 
And this blasphemy is that they are committing is against the Holy Spirit, against what he is doing. And verse 32 speaks to the severity of this. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Guys, this rejection is thorough. And Jesus, he says, um, you will know these people by their fruits, right? And, and we've talked about the good tree and the bad tree, right? It's the root that produces the fruit. We can't just manufacture fruit on yourself. You don't go out to trees and just start stapling fruit on them and say, oh, wow, look at this great tree. But instead, right, we, we need to cultivate the root. And if the root's bad, you cut it down. In the same way, that is how it is with um, Israel. And Jesus, he is going to not establish his kingdom in Israel. It will have to be cleansed and cut down. And actually, um, that leads us to the last part of Hosea here um, that we're going to point out. But um, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it is going to lead to a complete um, cutting down, in this case, of Jesus' life um, to, to reestablish what needs to happen here. Israel is not ready for the Messiah. Some of the scribes and Pharisees who were part of that movement of getting people ready for the Messiah in their thought said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you guys had time, you could see um, Hosea 13 and see this prophecy that uh, three days, after three days, Israel's so bad that they're dead, but after three days they'd be raised up. And in the same way, guys, Jesus did that on their behalf to save them, to bring them out of their spiritual deadness into life. Even though he was rejected, guys, guess what? There is someone who can save them. Even though he was rejected, Jesus Christ is able to save. And even though Israel's condition is worse than previously, that's what verse 43 through 45 states, Jesus can still save. He can still bring that salvation. And the true people that Jesus goes to and the true family that Jesus has is not those people who are rejecting him. Because guess what? Guys, that might happen to you too. Even within your family, you too might be rejected. But look at verse 46 through 50 here. While he's still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, and my sister, and my mother. Guys, those who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is our real family that we can truly count on. We will spend eternity together. And guys, even though we might be rejected out there, guys, go to each other. Go to Christ. Right? That is where we have that true, true acceptance in spite of the world's rejection of us. So the discussion question for us, this last one here, how do you handle rejection? That's that last blank on your outline. How do you handle rejection? Where do we go when we are rejected by this world? Heaven? Yeah, looking forward to what we have in heaven. Right, One day we will go there when we're killed, absolutely. The church, absolutely. We've got each other, right? Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. The Bible. The Bible, his word, right? That comfort, that this is all part of that pruning process Rich was just talking about. And yes, it's painful, but it's also profitable. Right, that both and. Absolutely. What else? 
Yeah, absolutely. Guys, you know, th there's a really important saying. Um, if you please, um, if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please, right? But if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. In the same way, guys, if we're rejected by this world, displeasing to them because we are pleasing the Lord, remember that. We have that helper, the Holy Spirit, who's able to help us each step of the way. Uh, let's go ahead and go before the Lord in a word of prayer. And uh, we'll leave off for next week with the central section in Matthew's gospel as the heat is turning on here further and further. Dear Lord, um, as we see this rejection that your um, son went through, Lord, on our behalf, Lord, I pray that we would not be surprised when we go through the same rejection, that we would not have misconceptions about what it means to follow you, King Jesus. Lord, no, there will be persecution. There will be hard times. There will be uh, difficulty, Lord. We will go through times that make us feel weak, Lord. Um, but in the midst of that, Lord, we know that you are strong. Lord, I pray that we would remember that, that we would anticipate, Lord, um, the reality of difficulty in this world and that we would see, Lord, that you are causing us to bear more fruit. Lord, for in our weakness, you are strong, Lord. Um, I pray that as we go out this week into different family contacts or different places where we might experience the same rejection you did, Lord, that we would go to you in prayer in those moments that we'd remember who you are, Lord, that you are gentle and lowly in heart, eager to um, take our burdens upon yourself and that we would do that in prayer and know, Lord, even when we fail at that, your spirit intercedes for us, Lord, when we don't even know how to pray with groanings too deep for words and all these things will work together for our good, that greatest good being conformed to you, the King, the authority, the Christ, being conformed into your image, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.